Cinema Obscura. We bid farewell to a 70s movie icon, but his work will certainly live on. When you think of the late Burt Reynolds, you probably think Smokey and the Bandit, The Longest Yard, Deliverance, or Boogie Nights. But he appeared in at least 64 films, and that does not include the upcoming Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And yes, there were some clunkers. I'm Steve Nikhazy, and I'm joined by independent Philly filmmaker Andre Bennett. And Andre, today, a look at a movie from 1970. Yes, this is where we come in with the clunkers. <laughs> right. It is indeed. Yes, this one is a movie that I kind of went deep diving for because most of his work was pretty known, especially his classic run from Deliverance on through the early 80s, which is probably one of the best sustained runs of any big ticket movie star. And Burt Reynolds, really, that word defines him probably more than anything else because when you think of Burt, you think of this period where he was at one point the definition of star. He yeah, was yeah. one of the most recognizable faces in the world. Mr. Box Office. And here we have a uh, movie with a single word as, as a title. Yes, there were a few of them, but I decided on Skullduggery. From 1970. And Susan Clark co-stars. Uh, first of all, uh, tell us about the plot in this movie. Well, in Skullduggery... Burt Reynolds and uh, Roger C. Carmel play a pair of con men who manage to grift their way onto an anthro- anthropological expedition into New Guinea, which is headed up by Susan Clark's character. And Susan Clark, most people will know her as the mother from the 80s sitcom Webster, mm-hmm. along with her husband, uh, Alex Karras. And she also stars as the love interest of Reynolds' character, Douglas Temple. And fortunately, she remembers to pack a bikini just in case while on, on, a, on a dig in New Guinea. Yeah, this definitely knows what its audience is. And the audience is very much kind of a drive-in Roger Corman type crowd. So, of course, they're going to play to – they're going to include the gratuitous uh, bikini shots. and Right, uh, right. There's a lot of casual sexism in this movie. And really that was more of a feature of Burt Reynolds' stuff more than a bug during his peak. Burt, of course, he's super charismatic. And even here before his arguable breakout and deliverance, even here you kind of get the sense of his his swagger and his magnetism, even without the mustache. Yeah, he was certainly in his prime or, or, or entering that period in, in his life. And this is being described as a, a science fiction movie. It is because they go into the jungle to search for the remains of prehistoric species and they learn that uh, one of those species isn't extinct. They're called the tropies and they argue that the tropies are the missing link. The first hour or so is the standard jungle adventure movie and then the second hour goes (laughs) – the second – the the back half of the movie, I mean. It's it's about 100 minutes. Exactly. The first part of the movie kept me plugged in because it was shot on location in New Guinea Mm -hmm. and the cinematography is is really good. And I would imagine uh, when it was on the big screen and full Technicolor, it was something to behold. Of course, now copies of it are kind of washed out. But then it kind of gets into this social drama and debate about, okay, we have found the missing link. And how are we going to take advantage of these guys? Yeah. So the people backing the expedition decide that they want to use the tropies as slave labor. They argue that the tropies aren't human. And Bert's character, Bert and Roger Carmel, who, by the way, is best known if you're a big Star Trek fan <laughs> right. as Harry Mudd. Mm-hmm. 
from uh, the original series. Yeah, two so, episodes in Star Trek. Yes, and the animated series as well. Okay. Yeah. So the two con men here, they grow a conscience and they, of course, are, are totally against the tropies being exploited to that extent. Bert's totally happy with using them to mine phosphorus because that's why they're there. Mm-hmm. They're trying to mine phosphorus so they can sell it uh, to uh, television manufacturers <laughs> basically. <laughs> Right, right. And, 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 and because it, it, the phosphorus is in every color television tube. Yes. So. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to – they found like a, a gold mine figuratively. So he's totally cool with, the, with working them in there. But he's like, you know, I'll treat them as human. I'll give them names. They're, they're, they're just working. They're, I'm not like, yeah. you know. But these guys come in and they're like, oh, no, we're, we're totally going to use them as slave labor and maybe even try to meet them with gorillas to see exactly – What's the deal? Are they are they ape? Are they human? <laughs> yeah. And Bert's like, no, they're human. Uh-huh. One of the tropies gets pregnant, and Temple and Carmel's character Otto Krebs, they spirit her away and try to get her to a hospital, but they don't get her there in time. The baby dies, and this is the precise moment where the movie really jumps the rails. <laughs> it does. It's <laughs> it, it it turns into a courtroom drama at this yeah. point. I'm thinking, all right. We're not going to get a bang-up ending here. Oh, but we, we kind of do in a way. Mm-hmm. Temple takes the, takes the fall for the baby's death. He totally admits to it after having a doctor draft unknowingly false birth certificate. And the rest of the movie is the court case, mm-hmm. which ostensibly is a murder trial. But he's trying to do this to prove that the tropies are human. So he'll take the fall in order to fight for their civil rights. On one – like the first hours is, like I said, a drive-in kind of jungle adventure movie in the vein of She or uh, Alan Quartermain or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it, it's clear they were inspired by Planet of the Apes and the Twilight Zone and uh, the, you know, the works of Rod Serling and, and other social pictures. So we're now going to argue over the meaning of humanity. Yeah, and genetic, uh, genetic labor was kind of a, a parting theme and sorry to bother you. Yes. Well, yeah. I, that just popped into my head. You know? uh, yeah. Sorry to Bother You, which is a phenomenal movie, and if you haven't seen it, you really should go see it. It carries on a long trend of movies about the workforce and exploring the nature of exploitation. Yeah. Yeah, when you think of the period where this, this movie came from, 1970, yes. uh, it was very much uh, you know, a, a, a hot topic to talk about labor rights and, and – uh, uh, Slavery and things like that, forced labor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Reynolds says it was a, a good premise, but uh, nobody really knew how to sell the picture, so it really bombed at the box office. I can understand that. I can totally understand that point of view because it is a hard movie to sell because I guess you want to sell it as like a weird science fiction adventure like The Lost World, but then you get to that last 40 minutes and it's just like, yeah, word of mouth <laughs> not going to be too great about this. And the thing I found was that 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 last forty minutes for me was so much more interesting because it was so insane. I'll be honest; this movie is an atonal mess. But that last forty minutes for me, and probably in part also because when you're watching this movie now, visually, this movie screams for a restoration or some kind of reissue that can show off those location visuals in their full Mm -hmm. glory. Here it's kind of like we're watching this washed out picture that obviously 
Yeah, has been through. Has it's, been yeah copied. It's, it's like, can I can I see this through a dirty washcloth? Yeah, pretty uh, much. It's like a copy of a copy of a copy. Now we have a clip from Skullduggery. We do. This is the scene where they finally stumble upon the trophies. How's it going? Marvelously. Need me spare part? <coughs> oh, oh, Pop! It looks the same. Yes, yeah, same large brain case, jaw, room enough for speech. Yeah, but it looks different. What? Well, I'm not quite sure. Where did you find it? Oh, Krebs and I were over there digging around in the bushes. Why? What are you trying to prove? What's the matter? What is, it? is this another one no, of your just stupid to help practical it. jokes? It looks the same, doesn't it? It doesn't look the same. It isn't a million years old. It isn't even ten years old. I think there are some even younger than that. Yeah, and that's when they see the, the trophies in the bushes. For some reason, that scene is supposed to be a harder button to hit. But I, I never quite got the urgency because they weren't really able to sort of sell it in that moment. It just kind of drags. So, yeah, yeah. It, it would have been interesting to see the, the tropies a little more warlike. That would have added a, another layer to the film at it that point. It could have, yeah. They also reminded me, especially uh, Topazia, they reminded me of – you remember Land of the Lost – Right, yeah. Give <laughs> Chaka exactly. from Land of the Lost. I didn't think about that, but yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, they look just like that, and it's it's weird and a little goofy. Parts of it don't age well. Some of that makeup doesn't age well. That first hour, there's also a bunch of casual racism, although the, the last 40 minutes kind of counterbalance that because not only do you have the prosecutor, who, by the way, would go on to greater fame later on. That's William Marshall, a.k.a. Blackula. Oh, right. Yes. Right. You have him arguing against the the racism of that one Dutch scientist. And then you have the Black Panther proxies coming in at the end and really shaking things up and leading. He was also in Star Trek. William Marshall? Yes. Oh, who was he? Yeah. He had a a role – I forget which episode, but it was was prominent, I think, uh, the the M5, the the robot uh, that, that ran the Enterprise. Oh, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Well, we'll have to look that up and, yeah, and give back to you on that. Parting thoughts this week. Well, we're really leaning into our name here because it is not commercially available at the moment. You'd think that Warner Archive or somebody would have uh, put out a DVD years ago. But aside from bootlegs you can find in some corners of the internet, that's about it. We managed to watch it on YouTube, divided up into parts. So if you have the patience to find it that way, it's there. So, yeah, that's Skullduggery. One other thing. We have a new Twitter account now. Yes. I just wanted yes, to we mention. Do. Yeah. So we are at C Obscura Pod. Follow us there and get info about upcoming shows, about back shows, cult movies in general, and just a lot of fun yeah. stuff. Come join the discussion because it's, it's a lot of fun. Thanks, really Andre. Is. Thank you, Steve. Cinema Obscura. And I'm Steve Nikhazy, along with Andre Bennett. Cinema Obscura is recorded and produced in the KYW studios in Philadelphia. For more shows, check out the new Radio.com app on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Thanks for listening. This isn't exactly a tunnel of love, you know.